90-day uh, parole. They put him on nine years parole. We don't going to trust you. Well, he now has a business in Albuquerque. He does high-end upholstery. We can't afford his upholstery. Some of his material costs $750 a yard. He does all the upholstery for the governor. <laughs> and he does uh, uh, for these big mansions up here. He does the, the upholstery for them. One day I caught him in Santa Fe, and, and he, I honked, and he pulled aside. And I said, what you doing? He said, well, he pulled out these set of keys. He said, I'm going up here. Uh, doing upholstery. They, they've gone to Europe. They gave me their keys. And uh, I'm doing, I pick up the furniture, take it out, but upholstery, it, bring it back. And he said, this is a house I used to rob. <laughs> so now he's going up there, uh, like a child of God, and he picked his furniture. And one lady uh, overpaid him $5,000. And he said, hey, you've overpaid me. She said, just keep the change. So this is the kind of people, but he's going to come and give his testimony in December and share. And, and I mean, uh, he, he's raised a godly family, one of the greatest miracles you've, you've seen. But I do want to say this, that if any of you that would like to be involved in this, uh, you can't go up, you know, Springer's a long ways off. We have volunteers out of uh, Las Vegas go there twice a month now. And so we have good Bible studies going, but we do go up once every three months. If you would like to join with us, but you have to get it cleared. We're going to be having a training session in Albuquerque on Saturday, December the 1st. Uh, and, uh, and you say, well, why do I want to do this? Because we need people working with the ladies when they come out. So we have probably five to ten ladies being released into Santa Fe every month. They could be right here. And their children could be here. You could be adding, uh, you know, these families to this church. And, 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 and so you can go over the donut day and meet the ladies and say, look, we're here waiting for you when you come out. God bless you, and thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Don. It's neat to, uh, to just kind of see how God moves in people's lives and how, how he's shaped and, and formed Don and Lola's lives over the years. And I was thinking this morning as I was kind of preparing for what we were going to do today, um, I was just thinking about how important it is for the Holy Spirit to come upon us and how we really rely on the Holy Spirit to touch us and to lead us. And I was thinking, well, how, how, do we, how do we recognize that? How do we realize that when the Holy Spirit is speaking to us? And one of the ways, at least, probably the predominant way, is kind of what we would, might call intuition. We just, there's something in our mind or something that gets stirs up inside of us, and uh, we say, you know, that would be good to be involved in. So if a little bit of that intuition might be hitting you this morning, if you're feeling a little bit like maybe this is uh, a ministry that you'd like to explore, please see Don and Lola after the service this morning, and they can get you lined up, and maybe you can start spreading your love and your joy into these people's lives as they're coming out of uh, the prison up there. And maybe we can start filling the church with, you know, thankful people who love the Lord from that ministry. Um, let's see, who do we have next? Um, oh, Rosa and Tom Wilcox. You guys have a video for that? Okay. We are currently going on our fifth year of doing missions in Japan and we are 
so excited and honored and blessed to be a part of the call here in Japan. We've currently moved to Sendai from Tokyo, which is in the northern region, you can see here. As a community, we feel called um, to partake in worship, intercession, and studying God's word, which would lead us into witness and evangelism. With that said, we have a vision for the church to work in unity as the body of Christ, working with the local church, building relationship with the local churches, other missionary organizations, and independent missionaries as well. Um, just to see the, the Great Commission fulfilled here in Japan, to see more salvations, as we believe the harvest is ready, and uh, God is really stirring up the atmosphere in this country. We're really uh, overwhelmed by the goodness that we've seen um, in the past five years. We believe that art and animation are effective tools for reaching the Japanese, both for the church as uh, an educational, um, theological, sense but also for um, evangelism for reaching them with the good news. Yeah, so a big passion of ours as a team, along with our other teammates, we are currently in the baby stages of planning for there to be a cafe in the neighborhood where we live, a place for there to be young people, to have a place to come and hang out, to have a safe community, to uh, be loved on, to be able to have a space to study. Um, there's a large population of young people in the suburb that we're living in and the population is only growing. Um, loads of new schools are being built, middle schools, high schools, elementary schools as well. Um, so there's definitely a need for there to be some place for young people to come and hang out. So Japan needs your prayers. Please be praying for the people of Sendai, for more people to come to know Jesus. Pray for us, um, for us financially and spiritually, that we would be equipped with everything we need for this task. And pray also for more workers to come to Japan. And please pray for the local church, for the pastors and the church staff, for the missionaries. Um, this harvest that we're getting ready for is going to be huge and we're really looking forward to it so please pray for their spiritual health, uh, physical health, emotional health. Um, the churches in Japan are just amazing places but currently they're really small so please be praying that the leadership and staff stay encouraged and energized. Thank you everyone. Tom and Rosa were married at this church last summer. Um, he's actually comes out of the Church of England, which I'm going to talk about a little bit later this morning. Um, but um, we recently got an email from them that uh, they have, have moved into their own apartment over in Japan now. And they asked anybody who could to help them raise a little bit of money to buy appliances and furniture for their apartment. Unfortunately, we weren't able to do to help them at the time, but um, if you feel like God might be leading you to help them out a little bit, just uh, you can just make out a check and stick it in um, one of the boxes. Oh, we don't have the boxes there anymore, do we? Well, give it to Michelle or somebody at the office or to Grace, and um, they can, they can uh, funnel that over to help Tom and Rosa. 
Rosa is, uh, is an amazing young lady who some of us have prayed for her whole life because um, when she was born, she had cancer behind one of her eyes. And um, she was involved in the St. Jude's Children's Hospital. Uh, still goes there every year for checkups. And I guess she's in her 30s now. And um, she's just an amazing, miracle young lady who, who God touched, who God saved. Um, and I feel like this church has been involved in prayer for her for so many years. She's got to be successful in her endeavors. And um, so we're thankful that God has sent her out uh, as a missionary from this church to represent us in Japan, which is a country that is very difficult to reach because their, their religious beliefs are what little they have are so different than what we have in this country. And so many of them are just driven by the work ethic and the, uh, the um, controls of their society over their lives that it's sometimes very difficult for them to break loose and really uh, be willing to accept the Lord into their hearts. So we're thankful for missionaries that go into the hard mission field as well and begin breaking down uh, some of those walls and barriers. Um, next we have uh, Rebecca and Josiah Kelsall. Rebecca is actually uh, Rebecca Gonzalez, who was in this church for many years. Um, and I'll tell you a little bit about her after we see the video. or Campus Crusade for Christ? We are operational missionaries, which means that we work behind the scenes at Cruz World Headquarters to do IT and writing work to support the 30-plus ministries under Cruz Umbrella. That includes the Campus Ministry as well as the Jesus Film and Family Life Ministries. Um, we hope you enjoy this short video, which talks a little bit about Campus Crusade for Christ, its history, and the impact the Lord is having through it all over the world. Thank you all for your support, and we hope you enjoy the video. We're actually not going to show the video. <laughs> Don't tell them. <laughs> it's just a video about the history of crew. And um, I just wanted to kind of talk about them personally because Rebecca was very involved in our missions in Mexico for years. And uh, while she went to college, um, she worked on developing her literary skills. And she's now a writer for crew, she and her husband both do writing for them and things to uh, bring awareness to the needs of people around the world where missionaries are reaching out and trying to change lives. So they were in the process of moving to Florida when I got a hold of them, and so that's why we got such a short little video from them. Um, they, of course, also are one of these young missionary couples who really need support if you feel the Lord tugging on your heart um, to help them. I'm sure that they would greatly appreciate it. I know that they're trying, they need to raise about an, an additional uh, 500 a month right now to be secure in having enough support to continue their ministry. So if you feel the Lord calling, uh, call, talking to you about them, um, again, you can just, um, you know, make arrangements through the church office to help provide monthly support for them. Okay, Brandon and Oksana, you got a video first? Okay. DTS is really something special. Five months of your life to set apart just to be with God. 
three months of lecture phase here in Montana, studying the Word of God, learning cultural and biblical studies, and then two months serving other people overseas in various locations. Lecture phase is a time where you come in every week with a different type of lecture ranging from grace and holiness to spiritual warfare to who God is and His character and nature. And we go deep in the fundamental characteristics of who God is. And we learn we're filled with truth and knowledge of His goodness and His power. And we experience Him together. But we first get to know Him more so that we can make Him known into the nations. We go out there for the purpose of preaching the gospel, to take the knowledge that we have in knowing God for ourselves to make Him known to others. And DTS is an opportunity for you to do this. You would just preach and teach and not even that, but also just do work and invest in the lives of people and take what you've learned over those past three months and live that out overseas. A community of people who are committed to knowing God for themselves and also committed to making Him known in the nations. This is what you're signing up for. This is what you're choosing. People who believe in a common cause together and are willing to change the world by submitting everything we have and choosing God together. Morning, everybody. Uh, I'm Brandon Nashbaugh. This is my wife, Oksana, and our beautiful three-month daughter, Elena. Elena, uh, which means bright and shining light. Uh, she's a little miracle baby. If you want to hear more about her birth, we'd love to share with you. Um, but we're here to share about our missions. Um, <clears throat> so we work at Youth with a Mission in, in Montana, a little town called Lakeside. Uh, maybe 1,500 people live there, um, maybe 700 over the winter. <laughs> the rest come in from California in the summers. So, uh, but Rosa and her husband actually work with Youth with a Mission as well, just in Japan. And Youth with a Mission is the largest nonprofit Christian organization in the world. There's bases all throughout. I mean, every single country has them. Just in like North Korea and Laos, you can't say you're a missions organization. Um, but the base we work with is in Montana, and we are a training and sending base, um, so it, it's a bit unique. We have a large campus where we take people who, who think they have an interest in missions, um, and we call out that inner missionary that's inside of all of us, uh, whether that's local missions or overseas missions. Uh, I believe that we all have a part to play in that. And uh, we go through what is called our discipleship training school. That, that's what Oksana and I are leading right now. The next one starts in January for us. There's one running right now as well. Um, and it's 12 weeks of lecture, learning about who God is, who you are, and then the eight-week outreach of making God known in the countries that we go to. 
Um, one, of, one of the things that you did when we would go to different countries would be, would pray, God, do you want us to be here? Do you want us to move to Ukraine? Do you want us to move to Taiwan, Thailand? And something we felt really strongly when we were in Ukraine two years ago was God challenged us that, yeah, you can move here and you would be impactful, but what I want you to do is to train missionaries and to bring missionaries so that there will be more long-term workers in the field for years to come. And with that team to Ukraine, we have three people now serving long-term in Ukraine, and that is our heart and our goal, is to train up young missionaries, encourage them in their identity, get their foot in the door, and see them reach people who do not yet know uh, Jesus. Um, so we're a nonprofit. We work off the support that friends, family, and this church give us, and we just like to thank you guys so much for your continued support. It really wouldn't be possible without you guys, especially with our family growing now. And uh, there's one thing we love to see is families and missions, so we thank you guys so much for all your support, um, all your prayers, and just the foundation this church gave me as a kid, too, means a ton. Um, and now we get to pass that on as well. So if you'd like to hear more about what we're doing, or if you'd like to catch up, or we have brochures as well. And the reason we show this video is because the DTS, the Discipleship Training School, is for anybody. Uh, youngest we've had is 16, oldest we've had is 96. So if you think you're too old, try to top that one. <laughs> and uh, that gentleman's actually serving in Seoul, Korea now as an English teacher. So, hey, if God calls you to it, you know. So come talk to us. Uh, we'd love to share more about what a DTS is, Discipleship Training School, what Youth with the Mission is. We'd love to get your foot in the door in the missions, and we'd love to talk to you about what we're doing. So thank you guys so much. I've known a lot of people over the years who've gone through Discipleship Training Schools through YWAM, and they, it always has an impact on their lives, whether you're involved in local missions or missions out in the world, it's an amazing place to just really get yourself grounded in how to reach out, how to reach others, whether you're in your hometown or whether you're someplace else. So this is a challenge for all of us. If God might be calling you um, to become equipped as a missionary, either locally here or uh, somewhere else, talk to Brandon and Oksana after the service this morning, and they can help you get hooked up with YWAM and uh, you can start, the, the training schools usually last for what, about six weeks? Twelve weeks. Twenty? Twenty weeks. Oh, you've got to make a pretty substantial commitment, so make sure the Lord's calling you to do it. Okay. Um, now we've got our newest missionary, Lorraine Gruiz. Lorraine, come on up. I just got back on Thursday. Um, you know, my Meryl, uh, I've got a new name for my darling. <laughs> my darling sometimes just, I think, looks at me and says, Lorraine, why do you get so emotional when you talk about, you know, coming back, going away, the ladies? And I've become very impassioned about my sweet friends in Guatemala. And so if I get all weepy-eyed, please bear with me. Um, there is an organization called Go Phil, which is 
short for Go Philanthropic. And uh, they serve all over the world. And they have a, a trip coming up to Guatemala next year. And on the uh, opening page of their Guatemala section, um, this kind of sums up what is going on down there. And um, when you see the video, you'll see where my friends live and you'll understand how many peoples of the world live in these same kind of conditions and why we need to be involved in some way, in some manner. Despite its rich and beautiful ancient history, robust tourism industry, and being the largest economy in Central America, Guatemala's, Guatemala's Human Development Index is the lowest of any country in the region. Due to a combination of historic events, such as the Spanish colonization and the more recent US-backed Civil War, where approximately 200,000 Mayans were killed, the indigenous people of Guatemala continue to remain uneducated, underprivileged, and unrepresented in a vastly corrupt government. Approximately 70% of indigenous children in Guatemala are chronically malnourished, ranking at the fourth highest in the world. And like, many world. and like many areas of the world, girls and women are thought to be of less value than men. <laughs> many describe the face of a Guatemalan poor as young, female, indigenous, and rural. And my first visit there was in March of this year. And I was asked to go by the visionary of this organization, uh, El Salitre Women's Center. And um, it's truly been impactful in my life. And I'd like to show a film, um, a very short film, and then I'll talk a little bit more about what I do specifically to help down there. The El has been in operation for only a short time, but in the planning for over four years. Located in the El Salitre slum, squeezed between the Guatemalan city of Amatitlan and Lake Amatitlan, the center started small with five women and is working to become self-sufficient. The board for the center believes the systemic work we've been doing to organize the center sets us up to ensure expansion and long-term success. El Salitre's total population is a diverse group of squatters, mostly women and children, who occupy roughly constructed shacks erected along an abandoned railroad right-of-way. Most end up here because they cannot afford to live anywhere else. The problems facing El Salitre residents are monumental. Violence, rape, malnutrition, and hunger offer daily sources of pain and discomfort as mothers allocate days for each of their children to be able to eat, spreading the food throughout the week. Education is often an afterthought in the face of more difficult challenges, and elementary age children are frequently kept home from school to care for younger siblings, as mothers search for any kind of work. Life is hard, filled with danger, and little sense of a future that is different. Our purpose focuses on four major goals. 
to teach a skill to participating women who have little formal education that will build their capacity to earn a living, to provide a living wage for women's work at the center, to provide a safe, accessible place for women to work, to allow mothers to bring their preschool children so their elementary age children can stay in school rather than provide childcare for the younger children. With your help, we can give hope to the women and children in this community. Please visit our website and choose the level of giving you desire. Together we can be the light in their dark reality. structures you saw are indeed the type of homes that my friends live in. Uh, they have dirt floors, uh, they walk in the mud to and from the center on the days that they work, which is two days a week. Uh, many of them have other jobs such as cleaning homes and that kind of thing. Uh, my job is uh, to teach these women how to sew. When I first went down in March, uh, they already had some background in sewing. You saw them holding a product up, and that's the first product that they learn how to make. Uh, they're menstrual kits that are taken up to the mountains and other rural areas where women and young girls have no um, hygiene products. Uh, these are delivered and paid for by the Peace Corps, and that is what began the income flow into the center. Uh, we also make pillows, um, which we have found out aren't a big seller, um, but they are now making clothing and other kinds of items which have um, turned out to be very profitable. We've had two trunk shows, one in Iowa City and one in St. Louis, and we will be having one here in Santa Fe in December on the 13th and 14th. I have brought uh, examples of the products the women are working on right now and I'm encouraging you all to come down to the, um, it's called Reside Home, which is where this uh, trunk show will be held. And all of the money from the sale go directly to the women so that they have a wage. They, uh, we pay a rent, a small rent to a Lutheran church where we use their sanctuary for the workspace. And um, God has really blessed us in uh, the ability to purchase a home that's on a lakefront, maybe a polluted lake, but it's on a lakefront. Um, we just uh, made the offer and it was accepted on Monday when we were in Antigua. So we're, we are making the down payment and now the struggle comes to pay off the rest of the house and continue all of the other expenses. Our goal is in 10 years time for the women to be self-sufficient. And in the short time that I've been involved with them, I have seen them really grow in self-esteem, their ability to understand even though I, I work through an interpreter. They're very eager to learn and very eager to support themselves. All of them have children and um, the children go to school. The parents, the moms anyway, because there's only one of the women, Letty, who has a, a husband. But since she's working now, he's decided he doesn't need to work. 
So she supports the household, and the other four women also support their household. And um, you can see that they are prospering, if that's a word to be used, even in the conditions that they live. But they are some of the most happy, joyful women I have ever met. Uh, just, you know, makes me feel bad when I grumble about the silliest things because they have a lot to grumble about, but they don't. Uh, so at the end of the um, service, please go out to the table where Pat Noble has a, a table, and I will show you some of the products that the women are making. I want to thank all of you who have donated monetarily to the efforts down in Guatemala and for all of the prayers that you've sent my way. Thank you. You just never know where the Lord may send you. Okay, uh, Pat, you want to come on up? Probably one of our older missionaries. Thank you. You're older than I, I am. I can only say that because I'm older than she is. Actually, whoa, these are really, as I was sitting here listening to everybody, you know, we originally got involved in missions because Don Compton went to the mountains and brought back Don and Debbie Aker and Etan and Connie Shishkoff. Don and Debbie went on to Guatemala to be missionaries. We got the bug from them. We kept their dog. We kept a lot of their stuff while they were in Guatemala. And we went down and visited them one Christmas thinking, okay, this is what we're going to do. We had it all planned. We were going to go to Costa Rica and do language schools. And then we were going to move to a Spanish-speaking country. Well, you know, God has different ideas. And we ended up in Albania where, you know, they don't know a word of Spanish. And we didn't know a word of Albania. But over those 10 years, and this was, what, 40 years ago. We are old. You are old. <laughs> When we came back from Albania, it was like God said, no, you need to stay here and go close to home. You know, Mexico is just a five-hour drive away. It's nothing. And they have the same conditions that they had in Guatemala. They have the same conditions they have in Albania. And all over the world, there are poor people who need Jesus. That's just the bottom line. Poor people, all people need Jesus, but poor people really need Jesus because they need, they need that faith. They need the hope and the future that we have and that we can share with them so easily. I'm so thankful this morning when I think of just all the blessings we enjoy here in, in Santa Fe and in our world. You know, we can worship anywhere we want, anytime we want. We can sleep until noon if we want to. You know, we have warm houses, we have clothes, or we have the ability to get it. The government will provide it for us. We have people like Michelle who take care of the homeless. You know, there's just all kinds of opportunities here. And so as all of us share, I hope, you know, if God, like Jim says, if he pricks at your heart to help with one of these ministries that we are physically going and helping, then listen. Listen to what God is saying. And you know, where God leads, God provides. Always. Always. Um, and so to say that, with our CASA ministry, we have some needs this Christmas season also. I have every year all of our students, which, by the way, in March it will be 20 years that we've been going down to Palomas 
once a month, sometimes more than once a month, but mostly once a month. And every year at Christmas, through the churches and the students program, we provide Christmas gifts for the students, for the pastors, for their families, we and then we provide gifts for the siblings of our students that we're sponsoring. And so I have about 12 pictures out here of little kids that need a blessing at Christmas. If you'd like to uh, pick one of those up, it would be uh, a real blessing to them and to me. And those of you who have sponsored students, uh, if, if you, have, you should have gotten some information. And if you didn't, come see me afterwards, okay? Um, and another thing, I have many people who sponsor students from out of state. I have people in Tennessee and Colorado and Montana and all over. And instead of buying and sending, they send me money and say, you shop. So I have about 12 pictures. If you're into shopping and want to spend somebody else's money, I, I can do that. I can give you the money and the picture, and you can just go have a great time blessing, blessing a child. So I just want to, I want to thank this church for, you know, the mission-minded that you are. We're such a sending church. We have been for the last 45 years, I think, Don. It's been that long. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just amazing, and God, God is so good, and we're so thankful. And, it, you know, it's not just this time of year. But for some reason, this time of year, it brings it out. It brings it home that, yes, we are blessed, and we need to bless others. Thank you. Now, how to tie all of that to Thanksgiving. <laughs> um, we're going to start out in Acts 1, Chapter 8, for those of you who look up things in your Bibles. I'm always fascinated, can you turn this down a little? Thank you. I'm always fascinated by history, which is really his story. How our lives are woven together in God's fabric to create a masterpiece that's the history of civilization in our world as we know it. And uh, just to think about how God's story has had such an impact through the generations. Um, and thinking specifically of Thanksgiving, which had its origin in the pilgrims, who were immigrants who came to America in this, about 1620, I think it was. I've got it written down somewhere in my notes. If I can find it, I'll tell you the exact date. But anyway, I think it was 1620. And they were a group of radical Christians. Um, they, um, in the history of Europe during those years, um, there was Roman Catholicism. And then in the 1500s, um, Martin Luther um, wrote his proclamation, which basically was an attack on the church's practice of or at least it began this way, uh, on the church's practice of saying that if you would pay us money, we can absolve you of whatever sin you need us to pray for for you. And um, so he, he targeted that, and he, and he started a, a whole movement that began in Europe um, that caused many people to begin to want to return back 
return Christianity back to the type of church that it was in the early days of Christianity. And among those in England were the separatists. Um, during that time, during the early 1600s, Henry VIII was the king, and he um, wanted to get rid of his wife because she hadn't borne him any children, and he didn't know a way to do that because Catholics didn't allow divorce. And so he said, well, I know how we'll do it. We'll just create our own church. They're getting created around Europe these days anyway. So they created the Church of England. That allowed him to get his divorce. Um, but they essentially, the Church of England was pretty much the same thing as a Catholic church, except now the English government was the head instead of Rome. And so there were, a group, there were these groups of Christians during this time that could not really, um, by conscience, they could not accept the practices that were going on in the church. So this group of separatists began, this, this particular group that became the pilgrims went to Holland uh, and tried to establish their, their church there, their religious beliefs, their religious community there. Um, they were not uh, uh, well accepted. It was a different language, and it was very difficult for them. And so they um, decided that God was calling them to come to America. Now, I don't know why they chose the fall of the year to make a pilgrimage to America, but that's what they did. And they arrived uh, in November of 1620, and um, then they immediately had to look for a place to winter. And, I mean, it was already getting cold because they were up in New England, up in the New England area. And by December, they had found a place, um, which was Cape Cod, and they, they founded Plymouth Colony. And I, my wife and I and, and girl, our daughters got to go there this summer and, and see that uh, for the first time. And um, what an interesting, uh, it's just like a little hillside on the coast, uh, on the Atlantic coast there, but it's, very, it's a very protected bay. And so they were able to bring the ship in close and uh, they were able to, I guess during that first winter, uh, maybe they stayed on the ship some and they, as they were building their houses, it was a very, very tough winter. They had 102 people, 104 people when they started. By the end of that first winter, they were down to 52. Uh, two or three people were dying every day. Mostly, uh, it wasn't starvation, it was mostly, uh, they believe, scurvy and pneumonia, just because they weren't protected from the, from the conditions and they didn't have any, I think you have to have a lot of citric fruits or something to keep from getting scurvy. And so, they were down to like 14 men and four women and 37 kids. And uh, finally spring got there. And um, fortunately, um, there was a group of, of uh, a Native American tribe there. Um, let's see if I can get their name. The, well, it doesn't matter. Maybe I'll come across it. Um, that befriended them and decided to teach them how they could live off of this land that was so different from anything that they'd ever experienced in Europe. And so the, 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 they actually, when they landed at Plymouth Colony, they landed at a vacated field of these Native Americans where, uh, where they had 
been growing corn and different things. And so they taught them how to grow corn. They taught them the way, you know, the kinds of animals, how to, how to get the animals and, you know, different things to be able to um, have enough food supplies for all that they were doing. The, the pilgrims in many ways were very unique because uh, a lot of the uh, other Europeans who came to America came with the idea of conquest, and they didn't. They came with the idea of establishing a Christian community where they could, where they could live and worship uh, in peace and where they could um, um, really just try to follow through with God's plan. Unfortunately, um, the politics being what they were of the day, they, there were often a lot of issues about, you know, what, how do we treat these Native Americans? How are we supposed to respond to them? And they weren't particularly evangel evangelical, but they were still more evangelical than a lot of other of the Europeans who were coming over and just kind of trying to take whatever they could from the New World. Um, and I was thinking about how the Native Americans there actually uh, practiced uh, uh, an important uh, scriptural principle. In Acts 22:21. it says that you shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. And as I was thinking about um, that, about how it's interesting how God can bend people's hearts to help others, especially those who are his people, um, when the need arises. And that's exactly what happened here. And so here they come as sojourners, but they're becoming a part of the new world. They're becoming a part of this new land. And uh, one of the things that they did that was they signed something called the Mayflower Compact. And the Mayflower Conf Compact the first thing it did was establish freedom of religion in the new world today. One of our founding concepts, one of our most important concepts that we have in America today. And so they, they, they made a very important contribution. But in addition to that, they began to develop this relationship with the Native Americans as they expanded in that, uh, in that region. Um, and they actually, um, by 16... I want to say 1660, they had actually, one of them had actually translated the Bible into the native language so that they could begin to worship, so that the Native Americans in that area could begin to worship the Lord as well. And so there was all of this, um, this interaction that was going on as the New World was developing there. And so what they did in practicing their faith was to begin to bring their beliefs among the Native Americans and anyone else who would listen. And in many ways, they were fulfilling exactly what Jesus told them to do in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And... So that is really, you know, what happened to them. They, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Lord, they came in, and then that next fall, they celebrated the first Thanksgiving. And, you know, we all, whenever we think of Thanksgiving, we think of, you know, the, the, the turkeys that they ate and, you know, just, you know, the abundance that they had. And think about it. There were, of the Native Americans who participated in that first Thanksgiving, there were perhaps 90 men plus their families. 
And how many men did I say were left of the pilgrims? Fourteen. So they were vastly out, outnumbered, but they had this great celebration together. It was like a three-day uh, Thanksgiving period. And by then, of course, they'd built their homes, and they were established, and they were able to continue on from that point. And I was thinking about, um, you know, when, when I get excited uh, about Thanksgiving, thinking about Thanksgiving, um, I, and thinking about how this new relationship developed and formed um, between two different cultures and how the Lord uh, was able to intervene in the midst of that, protecting those who brought him, brought the word about him to those who were here, and also helping those who were, who were here developing a great relationship. Or, you know, and Because one of the neat things about the pilgrims in that colony, in that colonization period, is they weren't in fights over those next 40 years. Uh, they were at peace with the Native Americans that were all around them, much unlike most of the rest of the European settlers who came. Uh, and it was all because of this over, overarching uh, power of God, of the Holy Spirit, over the things that they were seeking to do together. And when we think about... Um, how Jesus transforms us. I think about uh, how he did that to me even when, uh, when Pat and I were t in our 20s and uh, how literally in the course of just a few days he transformed us from people who were pretty much self-centered and, and pretty much just trying to f figure out how to find happiness and pretty much trying to figure out how to get rid of some things in our lives we didn't really like uh, that we knew weren't good, and literally by asking Jesus into our hearts, and in a period of days, um, he totally transformed us. It was really amazing, and I was thinking of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, which says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come, and, you know, I again, I am so thankful to God, because through that, through that uh, experience of accepting Jesus into our hearts, we became new creations. And I was I was reading a book the other day uh, about this person who was asking a Christian, how do you find happiness? And I'm wondering how you would answer that question. How do you find happiness? What What is it that would make you happy in this world? And what would is it that would make you happy in your life? And and this, this particular Christian uh, responded to the inquirer by saying, well, you know what? Um, I just look for God in all the ups and downs. I just look for God in everyday experiences, and I look for his little nudgings that are leading me in the things that he wants me to do that are going to bless others. And through that, she found joy. And I think so often that's exactly what it's like for us as Christians is, you know, seeking those nudgings from God and then following up on them and seeing the fruit that comes so often brings such great joy. Um, I was thinking of, this, of a story of one day in the life of Jesus. And um, there was one particular day, it's in, Acts, it's in Luke chapter 8, beginning at verse 38. And in one particular day, he transformed three people's lives. 
well, probably more than that, but three people whose lives are recounted to us. And it begins in uh, the story of the Gadarene demoniac. In verse 38, the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. But no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. And immediately, her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked, as if he didn't know. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing about against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet in the presence of all the people. She told him why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter and John and James and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by hand, and he said, My child, get up. And her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. And her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. How do you think these people were affected by Jesus? What has God done in your life? Have you truly laid down your life before him? John 14, 15 through 21 says, If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. If you haven't experienced that amazing power of Jesus in your life, Today, you have that opportunity. There's not really anything mystical about it. All you need to do is admit to Jesus that you haven't done such a great job running your life, 
Ask him to come in and reside in you through the Holy Spirit and transform you from death to fullness of life, fullness of joy in eternal life. You can think of this, you can think or say this right along with me right now, something like this. Jesus, I haven't done such a great job being in charge. I've made messes in my life. There are things I can't fix. There are problems too big for me. Jesus, I need, in you, need you in my life to lead me. I'm asking you to come into my life. I'm sorry for all the things I've done in my life that weren't pleasing to you. Please forgive me. By your power, I will change. I'm asking you to fill me with your Holy Spirit to guide me from this day forward. Thank you, Jesus, for all you're giving to me. Now, this Thanksgiving, I am hoping that we all have so much that we can thank Jesus for that we won't be able to hold it within, that we must tell people about it. I'm going to pray for you that you'll act on the impulses of the Holy Spirit, leading you to talk to different people, leading you to share what Jesus has done in your life. Because after all, of all things, that is the thing we have most to be thankful for. I want us to, to we're, we're almost finished, but I want us to listen to a song from Don Francisco, one that I heard many years ago, and it had such an effect on me. And it's a really great way to kind of bring us into thinking about this Thanksgiving season, this Thanksgiving day that's coming up where we're going to be sharing time with friends and relatives. And um, when somebody asks you what you have to be thankful for, maybe this will give you some ideas of what you can say. Doctors gave no hope for her, she seemed to fade away. My hours were filled with constant dread, time became a knife that slowly and relentlessly cut the cord of life. There was a teacher in the region then, some of us had heard that he'd healed a paralytic by the power of just his word. So with hope again rekindled, I went at once to see if I could find a man named Jesus from a town in Galilee I began to search the city and soon I saw the crowd They were pressing in to touch him and they called his name out loud But with the strength of desperation I pushed them all aside I threw myself before him and from my knees I cried Lord come and heal my daughter even now she's close to death her fever is uncontrollable, she fights for every breath But God's given you the power, life is yours to give If you'll just lay your hands on her, I know that she will live She will live, she will live 
he'd just begun to go with me when a face I saw with fear came towards me with the news I knew I didn't want to hear. And although I tried to steel myself, I trembled when he said, Why bother the teacher anymore? Your little girl is dead. Then Jesus touched my shoulder and he told me not to grieve. The trembling stopped when he looked at me and said, Only believe. Then he sent the crowds away except his closest men. And they followed right behind us as we started off again. But we were still a long ways down the road when I heard the sounds and cries of the mourners and musicians as they strove to dramatize my grief they had no business with beneath their loud disguise. My wife just sat there silently and stared through empty eyes. Then Jesus asked the mourners, Why is it that you weep? She isn't dead as you suppose, The child is just asleep. It only took a moment For their wails to turn to jeers. Who does this man think he is? Get him out of here! But with authority I've never heard In the lips of any man. Spoke and every sound rolled out with the thunder of command And in the sudden silence they all hurried for the door Wondering what the reasons were they'd ever come there for and Then he 